back in the podcast studio for another week. It feels like, gentlemen, it's been six months since we did this. It yeah. does. Yeah? It feels like it's been six years since I've seen Chase. So. Six years, well, yeah. Well, yeah. We... well, listen, I'm I'm happy. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't pick on me. I'm in a good mood. Uh, so we're back in the studio today to discuss something that uh, you guys have been actually thinking about for quite a long time. So the percentages, the odds are... We're actually going to have a great conversation surrounding this topic today. It's something that's come up, uh, yeah, I don't know, over well, <laughs> TBD. Something that's come up in conversation around the gym for a long time. Uh, this idea of getting better. I mean, when you're talking about fitness, it's just inevitable. You're going to start at one level, and most people's desire is to not stay at that level very long. So, this uh, book you guys have been reading is really going to provide some solid content for us. So, I'm eager to get to this discussion today. Jumping right in, talking about, lead out the conversation here, Hunter. So, uh, we're going to talk about a book called Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, this is a book that Caleb and Chris and I uh, read together and discussed a little bit. Uh, it's, some, it's a book I read about a year, year and a half ago, and it really kind of changed my perception and thought process on a lot of different things. Uh, but basically, the premise of the book is that we're all amateurs uh, in are in life you know or in whatever category we're working at and if we want to get to the next level we have to turn pro and he uh, talks about in the book turning pro in uh, his avenue which was writing you know writing books and uh, but you know you can apply it to pretty much any 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 area that you want to get better at and so basically the idea is that um, we're all amateurs in certain areas we all have certain things deep down that we know that we want to do or should do but we're scared to do um, and we have things like distractions and things that hold us back from um, turning pro and uh, reaching our full potential and so it's basically a book on you know what it looks like to not have reached your full potential and what it looks like to uh, reach your full potential and, and breaking that down and so it was a really really fascinating look into you know the characteristics of amateurs versus the characteristics of pros and um, what it takes to get there and so I thought it'd be a really good book for us to read and talk about on this episode today because I think it has a lot of application to um, to the gym and to fitness because you know this, so many people, you know, want to be able to do certain things in the gym or look, make their body look a certain way, but they don't um, implement the habits and routines and effort and everything that they need to to achieve it. So this this is a book that can help you um, realize what it takes to uh, to get to the next level. So um, yeah, that's kind of the premise of the book, and then I think we'll just kind of break it down part by part, but uh, Caleb and Chris, y'all can chime in on what, what this book meant to you specifically. Let's take a second. Uh, you read about, what, six, 7,000 books a year, Hunter? So Give or take. Uh, <laughs> give or take. Minus one. If one stands out, there's usually a, a really good reason why you want to, this one comes to the surface, but it's the, the author's story and the steps he's willing to take in his own life uh, from what you've referenced really grabbed your attention here. That There's a lot of guys that are pumping out books uh, right now, like, hey, how to get better at this, five steps to that. But this guy, in, in writing this book, was willing to, before it comes out, was willing to take some pretty radical steps in his own life, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he, you know, he spent a lot of time, wasted time, you know, according to him, you know, just kind of wandering around. And he knew he wanted to write, but he kept putting it off and putting it off. And 
uh, something he calls the resistance was keeping him from doing it. And we kind of talk talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, yeah. There's you know every year when I read, I read a lot of books, and there's a few that really really stand out to me. And this is one of those ones that if you read it at the right time in your life, I, I think it can completely change your life um, because you start being introspective and saying, you know, what he's talking about in the amateur status, that's, I'm doing a lot of those things. And what do I need to do to get to the next level? And I say I want to do this, but I'm not doing the things that I need to do to achieve that. And, you know, it's really just like a, a turning point. And he said in the book, you know, the the moment that you turn pro is going to be the, one of the most memorable memorable moments of your life. It's like a light switch goes off. It's a complete mindset set shift, and it's all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm not going to be an amateur anymore. You know, I want to do these things. I want to be a professional. I'm not going to be scared anymore. I'm not going to let distractions hold me back. So, it's one of those books that I think that can have the the potential to impact your life more than most of the books that I've read. So uh, in light of that, and you've set us up well for this, you've got the amateur and the pro, so we've invited one of each into the studio uh, today. So we've, got, uh, we've got Caleb and Sid, come from the amateur perspective, uh, just being a chase of the punch there. So yeah, guys, with Hunter making that hard sell, I just, I'd really like to dive in and hear what you guys uh, found to be memorable or something that like, hey man, I'm going to take this or this is a difference maker for me. Did you guys have this experience with this book? Yeah, I know. Uh, for me, when you when you describe the book, uh, and I and I've dis- uh, recommended it to a couple of my friends, um, when when you're telling them what it's about, you know, it comes off kind of like you think that it's a self help book. Is what it sounds like, and you could probably definitely put it into that genre. But what uh, what is so unique about it? It's um, and Hunter, you said the word earlier, mindset. That um, it's a uh, it's different from the self help books that we kind of grow up, you know, knowing where, you know, like seven, seven simple hacks to have your best life and this and that it go, it goes past, um, these, uh, these band-aids that people used to tell you to put on your lives. If you're having a, if you're having issues and it really makes you, um, change your perspective and focus on what is a, what is the root of the problem, you know, treat the, uh, treat the disease and not just the symptoms. And, uh, what really, what really jumped out to me was the comparison that he makes, um, or the, the the parallels between being an amateur and being an addict. That's a huge theme that he follows throughout, just about the uh, just about the entire book, and um, and he makes uh, he makes us uh, so many different uh, so many different parallels to uh, somebody who is addicted and somebody who is uh, who is in recovery and. Um, and compares that to being an amateur and to being a pro, and that was one of the the biggest things that jumped out to me. What about you, Caleb? Yeah, I think uh, you know, just starting off, one of the cool things about reading this book together is like we're actually living this out right now in the process of where we're at um, with this business, you know, and and taking on another gym, and as Chris and I are now in two separate places and trying to stay on the same page, and Hunter's managing us. Watching, you know, all of those things kind of come into into our life over the last six months, we're actually living this out right now and kind of getting to a point where all of a sudden little distractions become a big deal when your when your influence starts to grow. Uh, Hunter talks a lot about, you know, us trying to multiply our influence and how how motivating that is, and that we now have the opportunity to almost double our influence. So all of a sudden, your time is even more valuable because you have the potential to impact twice as many people. 
And as you take steps through your life to hopefully grow or have that influence grow, then all of a sudden those distractions, uh, the amateur, the aspects of an amateur that we talk about, all of a sudden become really big deal because you know that time that you wasted, um, you know, had the impact or the thing you didn't do that you should have done or you wish you would have done, all of a sudden is going to affect twice as many people. So it's positive and negative. Um, you know, one of the things when it comes to distraction, um, you know, and talking about an amateur kind of on that deeper level that stood out to me and things that I can, uh, you know, all jokes aside, we can all, I think, relate to uh, was just that we, you know, I think all of us have this burning desire to do something great and we want, we have big dreams and we have aspirations. But a lot of times when that becomes overwhelming, we get to that point where we need to take action and we go straight to a distraction. That's what an amateur does is you get overwhelmed with the desire to do something great or you have this big idea and you know it's going to take a lot of work or you know you know something may be out of your control and instead of staying with the plan and working hard and pushing through you go straight to like on a day-to-day -day basis you go straight to social media like when I get most overwhelmed Hunter will put a couple things to do and I'll coach all day and I'll be tired and it's like I know I need to do I need to call this person and have a conversation that may be a little uncomfortable it's going to be good for both of us, but I want to just like immediately I just freeze, you know, and the book, uh, the book talks a lot about that, and that was just really convicting for me. Yeah, that's good. I want to speak on something each of you said. First, Chris was kind of talking about self-help books and the self-help book genre as a whole. It kind of has like almost like a slimy kind of connotation, yeah. like you picture like some guy driving to, driving to work, listening to like self-help cassette tape and he's got like 25 <laughs> bags of fast food like in his back, back of his car you know that's kind of what I picture self-help and that's kind of what I thought and you know growing up but I think that people are starting to see like self-help genre is not like this this gross kind of thing it's just self-improvement and it, and there's a lot more books coming out and like I would classify the book mindset that we talk about all the time as like self-help books stuff like that and it's just things that people are are um writing about that's helped them in their lives and that can help you in, in your life and 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 so I think you know people are kind of getting past that self-help kind of negative connotation um, that people have and so you know reading you know it's there's a vast variety I mean there's millions of different types of books and you know you go and you almost if you, you don't want to go in the self-help category of the bookstore because everybody's like oh there's something wrong with that person you know but you know, I think if you want to achieve your highest level, you know, there's so many different people you can learn from from their experiences. Um, so I guess you could classify it as a self-help type book, but you know, I don't, I don't think of things as self-help anymore. I just think of them as, you know, some self-improvement, something that can help me get better. And then Caleb talked about the influence of others, and you know, you joke about, you know, I read a lot and all that type of stuff, Ben, but. You know, I do read a lot because I love to read and I love to learn. But what I've learned is that if I just keep what I learn to myself, it's just a waste. You know, there's no point in learning all this stuff if you're not sharing it with other people. And so that's our goal, like Caleb talked about, is in increasing our influence, which means we want to help more people. The more people that we can help, the better. And so we, we, we're always trying to learn and better ourselves so that we can help as many people as possible. And if, if we take a month and just kind of are lazy and don't really better ourselves, if we, if we have influence over 300 people in the gym and then uh, you know other people online and social media, we're doing them a disservice because we're not learning the stuff that could help them out. 
you know, and you never know what you learn that could like change somebody's life. You know, we hear it all the time. Like we'll, they'll, we'll say, you know, one sentence in a podcast or on a video or something and somebody will come up and say, wow, that completely changed how I thought about this. And it was just kind of like something we didn't really think that, that, that much about. Um, but it didn't have its impact that big of impact on us, but it had a huge impact on something else, somebody else. And so, you know, that's why we're doing all this stuff. That's what we want to do is we want to help as many people as possible. Um, but I thought that was, that was interesting to see both of y'all's perspectives on, you know, your biggest takeaways from the book. And Caleb, you kind of talked about that, that y'all both kind of talked about the addiction and he talks about resistance a lot. And that's, uh, a symptom of the amateur is they encounter resistance and, Every person has that thing deep down they know they should be doing or they want to do. You know, whether it's write a book or start a business or go on a trip or ask the girl out or whatever the case may be. And like Caleb said, you start thinking about it and you get overwhelmed and you push it push it away so you don't think about it anymore. And so many people in modern life, they just go through day to day and they go to work and they come home and they watch TV and they zone out and they do it over and over again. And next thing you know, 30 years have gone by. And that's not what we want to do. We want to pursue our deepest desires we want to go for what we were made to do and so addiction you know he talks about addiction a lot and that's it's not necessarily you know the classic addictions that people talk about yeah alcohol alcoholism drug addiction all that type of stuff yeah that is an addiction but he's also talking about chronic Facebook checking chronic gossiping you know chronic TV watching uh, reality TV watching, whatever, whatever you're doing that's keeping you from doing what you know deep down that you should and could be doing to better yourself. Um, so it's just distraction. That's what I call it. Distraction is 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 what um, amateurs are. They're distracted. They're always looking for something that's going to distract them to keep them from thinking about what they know that they want to do but are too scared to do. He calls it repetition without progress. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's like. What are the things that I repeatedly do that don't that I'm not making? There's no progress towards whatever goal it is. And the quote that I think that he words it so well um, that that probably encompasses a large majority of the people who are listening. He says, "We're restless, we're bored, we're angry, we burn to accomplish something great, but we don't know where to begin. And even if we did, we'd be so terrified that we still couldn't take a step. Enter addiction, whatever it is." It says addiction replaces aspiration. And so that's exactly what you're talking about. It's what are the things that we repeatedly do that are really just our way of coping with the fact that we, we want to do something but we're not sure what the step is. Yeah, the, uh, the fear aspect was something that really uh, that really jumped out at me. Um, I don't remember who, who said this quote, but it's on like every motivational poster and video that you see on YouTube and all that where they say are, greatest fears not that we're inadequate but that we're powerful beyond measure and I always I always saw like well that well that's stupid why would you be uh, why would you be scared of that but then you know I started looking at that book and one one thing that really jumped out at me was uh when he uh when he talks about um uh, the amateur is afraid to is afraid to sit in silence and um and I started thinking about that and uh I started thinking about it and I was like I was like, man, you know, whenever I'm not, whenever I'm not working or, or busy with something like that, or even if I am doing something like, uh, you know, mowing the grass at home or something like that, I am constantly, ha- I'm always have my headphones in. I'm always listening. Some I'm always bringing things in because, uh, because probably to an extent I might be 
scared to sit with my real self and um, and entertain the uh, entertain entertain the thought of a, you know what you know what the next step is and having the courage to actually take it. Yeah, and, um, that's interesting. You you mentioned that quote because I actually have that quote on my wall in my bedroom. Yeah, um, I read about it in a book. Um, called you're you're a badass at making money and she talked about these subconscious beliefs people have and how their greatest fear is that they're afraid to succeed and that's something that he talks a lot about is these habits and addictions are self-sabotage whether consciously or subconsciously and deep down we don't believe that we deserve or can or whatever achieve what we think we can achieve and so we self-sabotage and self-medicate through all these addictions and things to keep us from um, pursuing and achieving our our greatest achievement or whatever. Well, I think you know maybe this is the I think this is the direction that's going. But the thing that I that stood out in that same line of conversation was kind of that next level is like you know being afraid of succeeding. Um, I think a lot of people and myself included, you kind of we're and he talks about being paralyzed by what's expected of you being paralyzed by perfection and it's like if succeeding means more expectations on me more responsibility and I'm afraid of what that might look like because I'm afraid of failing then in reality you're afraid of the one thing that you really down deep aspire to do and that's like this dangerous cycle that you can get in um, and so you know there's a conversation about uh, you know that whole trying to be perfect it's like that for me was this is an amateur takes himself and the consequences of his actions so seriously that you kind of paralyze yourself. It's like I, I feel like I have to be perfect and so I'm afraid to take a risk because it might mean failure. Yeah. And so again that you know so many people maybe we have um, you know in our past we've thought or had people expect things that are so unrealistic for us or really high expectations that we haven't met in somebody and so that for the rest of our lives we're like Man, I, I don't know if I'm going to meet that expectation. So we don't set those goals and we don't work to try to attain those goals because it's, you know, if you get there, man, that's more expectation. That's more responsibility and I don't want to fail. So yeah. I'm going to stay down here. We all have these self-limiting beliefs that drive us and the subconscious mind is so much more powerful than the conscious mind and it steers us and drives us. And like a lot of it comes back to our, our childhood and like, you know, things that happened to us when we were kids and when something in our life happens that triggers that feeling that we felt when we were that eight-year-old kid when the trauma happened um it it makes it takes us back to that that age and we react on that and we can't react with a uh adult uh mindset and it doesn't have to be like big trauma you know just we all have wounds in our in our past that we have to deal with and until you deal with those and and figure out what your self-limiting limiting beliefs are you're always going to self-sabotage in some way um one one of the huge things that he talked about in in the book when he was talking about amateurs, the difference between the amateur and their pro and a pro is their habits. And this is something that I've really really been starting to believe the last couple of years is if you want to achieve something, you have to develop the habits that are going to make you achieve that. For example, if you want to, you know, get in in shape at the gym, you have to develop the the habit of going to the gym every single day at a specific time. It has to be like clockwork. You can't be thinking, you know, about whether you're going or not. You just have to go. Same thing with your diet. Um, and that applies to whatever. You know, you look at high 
performers in in any area of life, and I guarantee you they have habits that they do every single day that are making them that way. And then on the flip side, amateurs, they have habits of distraction. They have habits that are going to make them distracted so they don't have to think about um, you know, whatever, you know, the deep thinking that they have to do or think about what they're not doing. And so, you know, one of the best ways to get something or achieve something is to figure out what are the people that are, that have that are doing, what are they doing every day that I need to start doing? And you have to start developing those habits. Um, and you know, it's, it takes a little while to develop a habit. There's, you know, 14 to 30 days or whatever the case may be. But once you develop that habit, it's easy to do. And another interesting thing about habits is that you can never um, erase a habit. You can only replace it. So once you've developed a bad habit, you're never going to be able to just stop doing it until you replace it with something else. And so being conscious of that, if I have a bad habit of smoking a cigarette every single day after lunch, I am never going to be able to quit smoking a cigarette until I replace that cigarette after lunch with something else. So maybe you replace that with doing 10 push-ups after lunch. And then it's going to be hard because you're going to want to do that cigarette. But every time you want to smoke that cigarette, you say, oh, I'm going to do 10 push-ups. After a while, you're going to develop the habit of every time you crave a, a cigarette, you just do 10 push-ups. And then all of a sudden, you're just going to crave to do 10 push-ups all the time. That's a really simplified version of it. But in you cannot, you know, their book, The Power of Habit, talks about this a lot. You cannot, uh, you know, delete habits once you've acquired them. You can only replace them with something else. So it's replacing these bad distraction habits with good habits of things that are going to further you towards your goal. So is the basic premise, something I've been wondering here to you guys, this fascinating discussion here, is the basic premise of the author that there's a pro inside of all of us, that we all have the ability to achieve this level? Yeah. So I guess we can go on and, and talk to talk about, you know, the steps going from an amateur to a pro. Yeah, because um, I think most most people are experiencing an amateur life. Yeah, yeah. you know, like you were saying, Kelly, we people aspire to that or they want to pursue that. We've talked a lot so far today about the things that could block us, and man, we're we're taking on a, a modern lifestyle just head on when it comes to social media and being distracted. And and Chris, I don't think you're alone here, and, and just being surrounded by noise at all times. It's just it's the new norm. We've got to have. You know, we, we convince ourselves we're absorbing new content, but after a while, it usually is just, is just white noise. So I, I'm just trying to get into the, the mind of our listeners that are thinking, whoa, I'm living an average life, and I do have this kind of ache to be better. But in very basic terms, as you were saying, Hunter, this feels very difficult because we're going to have to change a lot about what we're doing. So obviously, he's if this book is, is a, a high-selling book, he's got to get to some practical steps about how we get out of the mess we're in. Where does he start? Let, let, let's just, before we move on, let's just go through the definition of the amateur that he puts in the book. And the book is really fast read, and each page is short and like a short short chapter with a title. And so I'm just going to like read the titles of the chapters. But basically he said, the definition of amateur, he's young and dumb, he's innocent, he's good-hearted, he's well-intentioned, the amateur is brave, he's inventive and resourceful, he's willing to take a chance. Like Luke Skywalker, the amateur harbors noble aspirations, he has dreams, he seeks liberation and enlightenment, and he's willing. He hopes to pay the price. The amateur is not evil or crazy. He's not deluded. He's not demented. The amateur is trying to learn. The amateur is you and me. And then he goes on to say characteristics of the amateur. The amateur is terrified, but the professional is terrified too in a different way. The amateur is egotist. The amateur lives by the opinions of others. 
The amateur permits fear to stop him from acting. The amateur is easily distracted. The amateur seeks instant gratification. The amateur is jealous. The amateur lacks compassion for himself. The amateur seeks permission. The amateur lives for the future. The amateur lives in the past. The amateur will be ready tomorrow. The amateur gives his power away to others. The amateur is asleep. And the amateur is afraid that everybody else um, is so caught up in what they're doing. But in reality, um, everybody else doesn't care what you're doing. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh he talks about turning pro. So what do you got to do to turn pro? The first thing he talked about was part-time pros. He said there's there's ways we can be pro in some areas of our lives and amateur in other areas of our lives. And he used the um, example of people who you know have a regular job that they've been working 30, 40 years, and they might be professionals at it, really, really good at their job, but it's not really what they were meant to do or that, what they want to do deep down. They put in the time and effort to become a professional at this. Um, he, he says, how many lawyers and doctors do you know who would make sensational essayists or novelists or historians, but beyond the op-ed submission, never propel themselves past literary, literary first base? That's an example he gives. So people who are professional in their given industry, but really they would rather be doing something else. And so he, he makes that distinction of their part-time pros. Um, but he basically said, when you turn pro, it's very, very simple. You know, all of a sudden you quit listening to that voice in your head that tells you, tells you can't do it, and you start pursuing what you know um, you want to do. And your life changes. It becomes very simple. You become focused on um, what you want to do. Your everyday routine is focused on achieving whatever that is that you want to achieve. And, you know, things start to change. The people you hang around change um, because you realize that there's people around you who are limit, limiting you. They have limiting beliefs um, that are different from yours. They might say, oh, what, who do you think you are that you can do this? You know, you, those people, you, you start to get those out of your life. So that's got to be a, uh, it's a difficult decision, Hunter, what you're referencing, because inherent in that decision is it's going to cost me some things. It's going to cost me old habits. And potentially, I, I think for a lot of us, the most difficult part would be this could cost me relationships, even long-term relationships. I've been codependent on staying an amateur by having these people in my life. So let, let's talk about that for a second. Just I'm trying as best I can to take this big idea and get as personal as possible with it so that our listeners can really be empowered to say, you know what, if these guys can do this, I can do this. That's the life that we live here at Coyote. We lead by example, as you were saying, Hunter, and we're going we're gonna to get down there and do the difficult things in front of other people to, to empower other people to do that. So Caleb, in your experience, uh, understanding this idea, did you have to take some of those difficult steps? Yeah, I think for for me, the thing that really hit home about, you know, we talk about amateur and then the growth that it takes to, to turn pro, what it looks like to turn pro. It's not like what Hunter was saying. It's not always you have to go and do this, but you've got to stop running away. You know, it's a, he says when we turn pro, we stop fleeing the things that scare us. And for me, you know, I think one of the biggest things we, you know, maybe this experience was the same for you guys, but uh, college was a time I think that is built in, or it has different chapters for a lot of people. There's a lot of growth that happens in that time of your life. And, and for some listeners, that may have been a long time ago, um, but it really doesn't feel 10 years directed, ago. Just, yeah, that man, sorry. Yeah, that was a okay, I just wanted to make sure. Blow. <laughs> uh, but for me, I mean, that was 10 years ago. And thinking back 10 years, it's still really fresh on my mind. Like, 
the you think about the people that you start college with and the people that you end college with. It's like for me, there was a very uncomfortable and man, I probably did it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But there is a time when you have to say, I I'm not responsible for the choices that other people are making that may be detrimental to them, but ultimately I've got to be selfish in the way that I have to leave that. You know, I have to potentially lose relationships and leave friends who I just can't seem I just can't spend time with if I really want to take growing seriously. Um, and so he says that he's like, if we need to grow, if we're going to evolve. Ultimately, we've got to, there may be a point where we leave friendships behind and friendships that give us benefit. Like there may be some positives, but if the positives is just that person's really funny when they're drunk, you know, or that I like hanging out with that person because they're funny. It's like in reality are the choices that are potentially going to be detrimental to me or am I going to miss out on some really deep life-giving lifetime long friendships because I want to hang out with the funny guy or the the pretty person or whatever it is. Um, ultimately, I think there's a point where it's okay to be selfish enough to to sometimes leave people behind in order to grow because ultimately our growth those those friendships that that I made at towards the end of my time in college are lifelong friends friends that you never hang up the front phone without saying love you man you know anything I can do for you. it's just like this really deep friendship. Versus a lot of the friendships that you just get because you happen to live in this town and go to this high school and, you know, these are friends. It's like, man, to take that next step in work and, you know, it could apply the same way. It's a lot of times leaving things behind that even give somewhat of a benefit. It doesn't mean that you're being selfish because you've got to think about your life and what that means to truly grow uh, and think about what am I going to be like in 40 years. That's strong, man. I mean, we're, we're so we're not all headed to the same place. So, uh, part of what I'm wondering, Chris, is uh, I know one of your major strengths is taking taking these complex ideas, whether it's movements inside of the gym or something going on externally, and breaking them down to kind of fundamentals and basics. I just know that's I appreciate that a lot about the way that, that you think about empowering people. So, if you were, you said you shared this uh, book with some of your friends, right? So, in that conversation, in that pitch. What is it that you're emphasizing so that maybe our listeners can have that last final push to go download this or, or stop by and purchase a paper copy? How would you sell this to them? I would uh, just really uh, really sell it as, a, like I was talking about earlier, a shift in, uh, a shift in mindset and something that I've, that I've experienced in, um, in the last, uh, in the last uh, yeah five years since uh, since I've been with uh, been with coyote was learning how to um, uh, how to take uh, how to take correction and and uh, you know even though you know I do put I take a take a lot of pride in my work and I and I'm very uh, very proud of what of what I do you know I, I still miss the mark sometimes and I used to take that as a as a negative and beat myself up a ton over it and even to the point where where I would overthink a lot of things because I I would not uh um, wouldn't give myself enough uh, enough slack, and I would just beat myself up too much. And um, uh, something that uh, something that I started doing was um, uh, I stole this from uh, Jocko Willink. Me and Caleb are big Jocko fans, and something that uh, something that he said when he was in the if you don't know who Jocko is, he's a he's a SEAL or uh, was a retired Navy SEAL. He does uh, 
business leadership consult uh, consulting and stuff like that. And something that he would do when he was uh, leading his uh, SEAL team, if uh, one of his subordinates would uh, or uh, somebody uh, or somebody under him excuse, would uh, would come to him with some kind of problem, maybe they didn't get the funding for some kind of uh, new equipment or whatever, or something something went wrong. He would look at uh, he would look at his uh, the he would look at that person. He would just go good. He would just say just say one word. He just say good. Whether he whether he meant it or not, you know that was his response to anything. Whether it really was good or if it, or if it was bad. And, you know, no, no uh, he he didn't he doesn't look at a, uh, something as either a good or bad circumstance. It is either it is either good or it's a it's a, a good potential learning experience or it gives you potential for growth. And um, so the uh, the people that I've uh, that I've recommended it to. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a friend who's kind of in a in a weird, a weird place right now, just uh, professionally trying to you know figure out you know what direction he wants to go, and I've really been trying to push this book on him to uh, to really um, help him uh, help him kind of see that like that you know just like me um, and just like everybody else in this room, we're all you know we're all addicts in one way or another, and all amateurs in um, in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and it's okay to be aware enough of that to it and be able to admit it and see, and see where changes need to be made and figure out what the, what the steps are going to be to make those changes. Yeah, boy, it's difficult to be honest with yourself in that way, isn't it? Can I say that would, Chris has said that to me, it really ticks you off to hear that whenever you've got a problem and you're complaining and you're wanting some sympathy and someone good. looks at you and says, good, yeah. and then they're done. But here's where, here's where you can take that and... If you hear that and it gets you so it it like it makes you so mad or you get so upset that you can't receive that and actually take that and then spin it and reframe your mind, then it's probably just a job. You know, but if, if whatever you're doing as a job is work, work is something you can take pride in and then when someone looks at you when there's a problem and they say good, you're like, You're right. This is work. This is something where the fruit of my labor is, is what I'm, why I'm doing it. It's not to get a reward. And you know, that's probably the very end, the last conversation. But as you were saying that the only way you can accept that type of correction and have that mindset is if you're doing something that you really want to take pride in. If you're doing something just to get through the day or you're not, or you're doing something that you really don't love. If you, if you are faced with a challenge and, or a learning experience, and you just get ticked off and shove it to the side, then that can be a lot of times a really telling sign that you're probably doing something as an amateur. When you're doing it as a pro and someone looks at you like that, it's it's like, oh, I can make my work better. Mm. And and it's rewarding when, when you can see your your job as work. My first thought when, when somebody gets defensive like that is that their ego is getting in the way. And he talks about e- amateur as an egotist. So their 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 ego will not allow them to receive criticism, and I want to echo what Chris said. You know, as we are trying to turn pro as a as an organization, you know, what what comes with that is some hard conversations every now and then. You know, like like Chris said, like some correction, like hey, you know, we need to be better on in this area. We need to be better on this area, and it's not fun for anybody involved to have that conversation. But if you want to perform at your highest level, you have to hold each other accountable. And they hold me accountable, I hold them accountable, they hold each other accountable, we hold everybody else accountable. Um, and that's just part of it because we want to be the best we can possibly be. 
and we we check our ego at the door you know we're not too good proud to say hey I screwed up in this area hey I got to get better hey I dropped the ball on this because um, we want to be the best and we know that it's we're not there yet but we're continuing to work for it and we're trying to turn pros an organization that's one of the main reasons that we read this book and I want I kind of want to echo what Caleb said about the friend thing um, I had the same conversation with somebody a couple of days ago and I was talking about you know, one of my buddy, one of my really good buddies from high school had gotten married, and I didn't even know he was engaged. I didn't know he was getting married. You know, I hadn't seen him in like ten years, and I was just talking about like I just felt like I had lost touch with a lot of people that I used to um, spend a whole lot of time with, and I, I was kind of talking through it with them, and, and I just realized like you know what we had in common back then we don't have in common anymore, and we talk about the distraction and our, all our relationship was focused around distraction, you know, just doing things that were distracted. And what I've learned as I've grown and matured and tried to turn pro in different areas of my life and change my mindset is start being aware of the type of conversations people are having around you. And you don't want to be around people who are having negative conversations or, you know, conversations that aren't getting anywhere or have no substance or, you know, they just talking about other people all the time, you know, or stuff like that, and you it just makes you want to distance yourself from that, and you are you're gravitating towards or attracted to people who are talking about ideas and you know having you know how to further themselves, how to better themselves, how they can make other people around them better, and I just think as you naturally grow, you're gonna gravitate towards people who are also trying to grow, and it's not that you're just saying hey. Uh, you're not you and I aren't the same page. We're not friends anymore. It's not like that at all. You know, it's just like hey, you just, just you just gradually you kind of grow apart and you stop spending so much time with them. And maybe you know you still keep in touch and you're still friends and you still catch up every now and then. But it's you're not investing so much time into somebody else who is not on the same path as you. Um, before we finish up, because I think we got to move on to the next thing pretty soon. I did want to kind of just go through the qualities of the professional he talked about because I think we would be. Uh, remiss if we didn't talk about what it looks like to actually be a pro in in different areas of life. And so I was kind of reading through the book here. The professional shows up every day. The professional stays on the job all day. The professional is committed over the long haul. The, for the professional, the stakes are high and real. The professional is patient. The professional seeks order. The professional acts in the face of fear. The professional accepts no excuses. The professional plays it as it lays. The professional is prepared. The professional does not show off. The professional dedicates himself to mastering technique. The professional does not hesitate to ask for help. The, the professional does not take failure or success personally. That's a, that's a huge one right there. The professional does not identify with his or her instrument. The professional endures adversity. The professional self-validates. The professional reinvents herself. The professional is recognized by other professionals. The professional is courageous. The professional will not be distracted. The professional with, is ruthless with himself, but the professional also has compassion for herself. The professional lives in the present. The professional defers gratification. The professional does not wait for uh, inspiration. The professional does not give his power away to other, others. The professional helps others. Um, so... I mean, that's just a whole lot of stuff right there, you know, <laughs> contrasting the, the, um, the professional with the amateur. Were there any, any of those that really stuck out to you guys, like characteristics of the professional? 
I love a good golf analogy. Yeah, man, and, that's uh, the one that stuck out to me and too. And the yeah. professional plays it as it lays. If you've ever played golf or watched golf, I watched two weeks ago. Again, Tiger Woods has struggled with the driver, drives it straight down the fairway, and the ball rolls into a divot. And it's like, as a professional, when you're out golfing, it's like just roll the ball, you mm. know, and get a great lie. But as a pro, like those guys don't get to move it. If you're unlucky that in those, you know, I mean, all the options of where that ball could have ended up on a two-inch divot, the ball lays in a hole, and he's got to hit it. It's, you know, they're playing for all this money. Think about it. He doesn't, you know, he's not just whining, which, you know, Tiger will whine a little bit. Hey, he may be listening. Little, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Tiger, if you're listening. Uh, he, needs to read, he needs to read this book a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, he just, all the announcers. skimmed it. All the commentators, it's just like the worst, you know. But when he gets over the ball, it's like you can't do anything about it and just drills it, you know, and sticks it. And it's like how many times does something – where it's out of your control and you show up and you've got to do a little extra work because someone left something, that but you play it as it lays. You don't complain about something, you having to do a little bit more work. If you've got to go next door and get a piece of equipment to do the stuff because someone left it over there, you can't do anything about it now. If Ty leaves something out, you can't <laughs> do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. You just got to go and do it. And I'm sure there's a lot of other analogies for that, but... For me, there's a lot of times where, for the first time in my life, there I'm in a job where it's like sometimes something is just not set up, but I love what I do, and I'm okay to just, I'm just going to deal with it. It does no good for me to go to the next person and complain all the time about things that were given to me or opportunities that were presented that aren't ideal. You just, a professional, you just take it as an opportunity to grow. All right, I got to run a little bit further. You know, in the gym, it's like, oh, I got set up in the back of the gym or my rings are over here, or my bar's over here, and i got to run a little bit further. I'm not looking for a way to shortcut my run because I've got to do a little more. That's an opportunity that was presented to me to play it as it lays, and I'm going to do, you know, at the end of the day, man, I did a little bit more work, and I'm better for it instead of complaining or looking for a shortcut. Yeah, it's like what, uh, what I was talking about with the whole good thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's just this concept of showing up every day regardless of the circumstances and not depending on not depending on motivation to uh, to continue to continue showing up because if you're just going to depend on uh, depend on motivation uh, you know just like any other emotion it's here one minute and gone the next so if you were not grounded in in your principles you know if you are not if, if what you're doing like your ultimate goal, it has to be your north star, and it has to be what you are truly called to do, in order to keep you showing up every day. Because motivation is only going to get you so far. Yeah, I think, man, this is really. I love that we're kind of landing the plane here because I think this makes such a big difference for uh, the way that people are when they walk in, especially into a fitness environment. Uh, I, I was attracted to that analogy because I think, man. I'm put in that situation multiple times per day, and especially when I walk into CrossFit, I'm thinking, how can I modify this situation to make it just a little bit easier? Am I going to do the difficult thing? And a lot of it depends on how you view yourself. If you see yourself as an amateur, an amateur says, sure, man, you know, open another beer, move the ball, and it'll be an easier shot. <laughs> That's yeah. how you do it. Uh, but the pro's like, man, there are huge consequences 
all eyes are on me. How's this going to go? And if I do this, another part of that, and we could chase this for the next two hours, but another part of that is if I do this, I'm going to be held accountable by a professional standard. And I think that's what's so important about that community aspect that we're talking about here. I mean, you guys have spent years building the sort of community, the sort of environment here to where we're trying to hold each other accountable to professional standards not only to close the back door for our business, but also to provide something that we believe our clients deserve. They deserve to come into a professional atmosphere. They deserve to have professional results. What's frustrating about though, as a client to sit on that side is, sometimes I just want to be an amateur, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you got to exercise some grace in that. Um, but I think, you know, part of that is, if you got something going on physically, professionals pay attention to their body, right? So, yeah. I mean, it just, there's no end to this analogy where you're trying to make those decisions. I think just empowering the people around us to say how you see yourself internally is going to have a huge, huge impact on the type of results that you receive. And sometimes you got to borrow that. A professional needs to borrow that motivation from the sponsor. You know, I mean, that's how things go. So I think chasing this idea is, is really beneficial. I think we need to come back around to this probably in future episodes. Yeah, I just wanted to close with kind of saying what the professional might look like in a gym setting. And I think really what it boils down to is like the amateur is cons- is concerned with the result and the professional is concerned with the process. And so every day the professional's coming in, they're not accepting excuses like like Caleb said, like it, maybe you had your stuff set up farther away than somebody else. You know, maybe you're taller or shorter than somebody else and maybe it's a hard movement for you. You're not making excuses. Maybe you didn't eat enough food for breakfast or whatever. It doesn't matter. You show up and you give your best effort and that's all you can can, can do. And it's not about what your given score is on that day or what weight you lift or whatever. It's about coming in and giving your best effort every single day and focusing on the process because in the long term, that's what's going to get you better. And not letting your ego get in the way and, and just because somebody beats you in a workout doesn't mean you go home and pout for a day, you know. If, if somebody beats you in your workout, good. That's an opportunity for you to get better. If, you're set, if your stuff is set up farther away than somebody else, good. You get to work a little bit harder to try to keep up with them or pass them, even though you're doing a little bit more work than them. And, and just being focused on the process. And uh, I kind of want to close with this. He, talked, he, he went into a little bit more depth on a professional, and he talked about the professional has a practice. And what he meant by that is, like, people say – you, you practice yoga or Tai Chi or something like that. And that doesn't mean you just come in and just go through the motions, but you have a space where you practice. There's a time that you practice, practice. You have an intention when you practice, there's humility. When you practice, you practice as a warrior, you're a student when you practice and your practice is lifelong. So what that means is every single time you come into practice for take take, take the gym, for example, there's intention with your session. You're just not coming in and showing up and going through the motions. You're focused on something. There's a time and a space. So you have a specific time each week that you show up. Like I said, the most successful people are showing up to the same classes at the same time every single week. Um, there's intention and you're not, they're not, there's a humility when they come in. They're not, they're checking their ego at their door. They're here to get better. They're here to practice. And then it's lifelong. It's not something that you're coming in and doing a 12-week boot camp and just quitting. No, the practice of chasing health and fitness is a lifelong practice that you're constantly working towards. And so that's kind of where I wanted to close the conversation on that is that, hey, you know, we all need to turn pro in different aspects of our lives. And these are, these are the characteristics of the amateur. These are the characteristics of the pro. 
big challenge, man, surrounding yourself with professionals. And, you know, some of us listening might, might have to eat the elephant, you know, <laughs> like little changes over time. Uh, but we can sell emphatically through being in this environment that when you're surrounded by people that are chasing pro, your life is going to get better. There's just no doubt about it. So talking about looking back and uh, time that we spent as being an amateur. To, <laughs> speaking of distractions. Speaking of distractions, we get to our outside the box segment for the day where we're talking about, yes, I still have it. We're talking about top three movies. This is going to be hilarious based on our, our age differential here. Top three movies from college. Maybe we should put it in there for a few guys in the room that you can remember watching, right? <laughs> Top three movies in college. Uh, you would say, hey, uh, as I'm packing the boxes up and somebody's heading off to college, these are the DVDs that I would drop in the, in the car. Oh, no. You're talking, you mean VCR for you, right? <laughs> That's yeah. right. These are the cassette tapes yeah. Yeah. that I would put in the car right before they leave because they have to stay in the air conditioner or else <laughs> the tape's going to melt. <laughs> the tape's going to melt. Just make sure you rewind them before you drop them off. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Be kind, rewind. Be kind. <laughs> so, uh, may you rest in peace, Blockbuster. <laughs> Speaking of amateur, they refuse to turn pro. Netflix moves in, changes the world. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix and they passed on it. Passed that, on yeah. it because they Talked just, about to bad decision man. <laughs> all right so uh top three movies from college i'm i'm really curious to see are there going to be some is there going to be some overlap here uh probably so probably not with me but uh we'll go so let's just go we'll start with hunter we'll make the make the rotation that way uh the letdown of my top three movies and am i not in the episode anymore <laughs> well, i don't know you were over there typing something i'm not sure what's going on with oh you. i've been ready have you gone to college yet chase so chase is gonna chase no, is gonna let drop chase start us off turn us off well okay <laughs> all right so the time that i was in college which was not that long uh not a lot of awesome movies. Two came movies out. came out. <laughs> it was not. I went back and looked at like the time span. Yeah, I went. It was like 2012, 2015, and not not much was happening. That was just classics. So what what happened that at that point in my life was like my film, like reawakening or like birth of like what I considered were good movies. So my top movie, or excuse me, my third top movie for that uh, time period was Pulp Fiction. I'd never watched it up until like 2013, 2014. And I'd literally spent my whole life thinking like it's just some dumb 90s movie that I really shouldn't really give the time of day. And I watched it and it was incredible. Was Pulp Fiction 90s or was it 80s? No, it was 90s. It was 90s? 90s? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what that was kind of what uh, the only Quentin Tarantino I had up until that point was Inglorious Bastards. And that's I just that was the extent of what I thought yeah. <laughs> is a yeah. genre. I just thought he was, hated Nazis. That's all. <laughs> I had. But he has this whole other catalog, and so I started with Pulp Fiction. It was nuts. It Pulp, was incredible. Pulp Fiction is just a classic movie. It's so good. It's so well made. Oh yeah, Pulp Fiction. Um, so for me, college was a time of playing baseball, and so most of my time was spent with a bunch of guys on the baseball team, either in practice or riding in the bus, or in the dorm room, in my roommates, and all that type of stuff. So. We spent a lot of time making fun of each other and quoting movies. That was pretty much the, the, you know, all of our conversations pretty much. And, you know, so that's, that's all we did. So all my movies are pretty much come back. HM, man. Cut 
Come in here, sweetheart. There you go. He's probably gonna start from the top here. Okay. Come here. She wants her thing. Uh, what happened to it? Did she take it with her? Mm-mm. Is it under the th- blanket? There you go. Okay. You just want me to start over from the beginning? Yeah. Okay, so for me, uh, my college career was spent mostly uh, playing baseball, so most of my time was spent either at baseball practice or on the bus or in the hotel room or in the dorm room with with guys on the baseball team, and most of our conversations consist of making fun of each other and quoting movies. So um, all my movies are very quotable movies that I could probably quote just about the entirety of the movie to you, and they're used just in random conversation, you know, just thrown in in the middle of a conversation, and that is always a good way to get a laugh was to quote a movie. And so my first one, my number three, actually came out my senior year of high school, but uh, we watched it so much in college and quoted it so much in college that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it in old school. I remember when old school came out, it was just like, like, that's all anybody talked about for like six months was old school. And they would quote old school. And it was just so funny. It was so different than any movie that had come out before. And Will Ferrell was just hilarious in the movie. Um, go on to college, continue to quote it. And it just became like, like, just part of daily conversation was you had to at least throw in a couple old school quotes. I mean, it was just that well known by everybody. And so old school, it, I actually, it was on TV like a couple weeks ago on like TNT or something. And I watched a little bit of it and I just couldn't believe how young Vince Vaughn and Will Ferrell looked. <laughs> and I was like, man, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, you know, but it, man, just talk about a classic, just a funny movie. And then, we, you know, it's, talk, it's about college, you know, even though they're older guys going back to college, but it's, you can relate to it when you're in college. It's a lot of the stuff that you go through. So old school was my number three uh, college movie. Is that how this works? We all go number three, yeah. and then we go number two, and yeah. then we go number one. Have you listened to the podcast? Before? On the fly. I thought all of the. I thought I was on all the podcasts. He listened to one episode, and that was his own. I, <laughs> he, he has I it on repeat. Wait, you guys do other episodes? Yeah, yeah that's right. Other than when you're here, we they usually mostly like political based. So I'm like a guest. I'm not like an anchor on the show. That's how you're. Yeah. All right, number three. Um, the reason it's number three, I'm not a I'm not a hero like an action hero type person. Superhero, is the is the term. But I look back, 2008 freshman year of college, The Dark Knight came out, and for me, that is that is actually one of the super what do you call them superheroes action. Yes, yeah, so it's superhero. Action figure is like that's when the, you hold well, and play with. Action, okay. Action, but superhero is the is the character. I think we can all agree that the latest those those Batman movies that came out kind of re like they up the game a little bit. So Chase, which, one, which one are you picking here? Chase is just he can't wait to get in this conversation. <laughs> by the way, because he's you guys are like Jeez, so on the same page on yeah. the spot right here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2008 had to have been Dark Knight. The first one. Rises. The second one. All right, so is it? So let's just just tell me what are the what are the names of them? Do we know the details? I do, but one of them I might, or might not Batman. be on my list, so I'm waiting. <laughs> just, I just no. call it Batman. <laughs> I just call them Batman. The Batman <laughs> movies. Wait a minute. I'm so that kind of guy. People are like, <laughs> no, that's, how, that's how do you not know the title? You guys know this. So, so Batman I, Begins was 2005. 
So it was the it Dark was Knight Rises. Was, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. yeah. 2012 is yeah. what? 2008. 2008. No, freshman year. That was Dark, 2008. 2008 was Dark Knight. Oh, no. The Dark Knight was 08. The Dark Knight. That's Dark Knight Rises, 2012. Yeah. This was stressful. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Chase's last time was friends. I should have never. Jeez. <laughs> So my so my uh, so so my so my number three says a lot about my my personality and my my sense of humor mainly. Uh, down Periscope. <laughs> down Periscope. Totally down Periscope. No, uh, Hot Rod came yes. out when I was uh, so good when I was in when I was in uh, in college, and I think I, I I actually I saw it on Netflix for the first time. One of my roommates told me that I had to watch this movie, and I I remember seeing the previews like there's no way that I'm gonna that I'm gonna enjoy that. And usually, whenever that's my comment about a movie, it usually ends up being one of my favorite movies. And uh, yeah, I just nonstop had me rolling from beginning to end. And if you've ever seen that movie and you know me, if you've been around me for ten minutes, you would say it makes total sense. I don't know that there's a funnier scene than when uh, he's beating the dude up with the trash can. Uh, I don't remember what the cause and effect was, but Danny McBride is probably one of the most hilarious people yeah, I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> the um, uh, that or the uh, the scene where he's uh, where he's uh, dance fighting in the woods and he rolls down the hill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a, such a good movie. I have a very strong sense that I should probably not participate in this. No, Ben, you're not getting out of it. Butter made this list for you. I know, I you guys are sitting A lot of us have seen Gone with the Wind. (laughs) (laughs) Ben's hammer in the first four hours. So, yeah, fried green tomatoes. We can now say we were in college when the the first movie ever came out. Ben's Ben's a the color purple fan. He really loves Oprah. We were talking about To Kill a Mockingbird off mic, so it's <laughs> a difficult decision for me. I uh, this I think going with personality, this makes sense. One of the first movies that came to my mind was uh, Spy Game, which you guys probably haven't seen, but it's got Robert Redford and uh, Brad Pitt in it. Yeah, I've seen that one. And uh, Brad Pitt has the coolest sunglasses in that movie. It's, <laughs> it's unreal. But I watched that movie over and over and over again just because the... What what attracted me to it is that Robert Redford is in this really really intense situation, and he's having to to buy some time for for Brad Pitt, and it, I don't know, it's just a a pretty fascinating. It was the first movie where I realized, man, I'm really uh, attracted to these plot lines that get complex inside a movie. So Spy Game for me would be definitely one of those movies. I'm forgetting who Robert Redford is. Oh wow, which is probably you not seen, okay. You ever seen The Natural? Maybe. The baseball, baseball movie. He's got like uh, light brown hair, like kind of swished to the side. He looks yeah. a lot like Pete Carroll. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't that, was, that was accurate, but probably not helpful. One of the yeah, most famous not, actors yeah. of all time. Probably yeah. so. Yeah, probably. I probably know exactly who you're talking about. You do. You know, I mean, he's been in so many different things. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. I'll feel like an idiot later. That's yeah. fine. All right, I'll do my number two real quick. Uh, my number two, Dark Knight Rises. Go ahead, Hunter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Right. So was that 2008? Or? No, it was actually like it was one of the prequels. Oh, okay, but did it come? To... It was right. 2012. And so like it literally came out my freshman year. It's like the first. I actually it was the first movie I watched in college. I know for sure because I went to the theaters and saw it. It was unbelievable. Bane's incredible. That's so, it. So my number two, uh, my sophomore year of college, uh, I moved into a dorm room with one of my best friends, and then we had an adjoining bathroom with another room that was my other two best friends. So it was all four of us like hanging out together all the time. And we set up two TVs in my dorm room so that we could like play PlayStation on one and watch 
TV on the other one or watch two football games at the same time or whatever. But around this time is when the 40-Year-Old Virgin came out on DVD. And we watched the 40-Year-Old Virgin almost daily. What a like, setup for <laughs> But around that time. <laughs> and the 40-Year-Old Virgin, like every time I watch it, it just takes me back to my sophomore year of college and watching it with those guys. And it was just, it just blew my mind how funny that movie was. It just had so many great lines. And then it was the first time that I'd ever seen Kevin Hart. And y'all remember uh, Kevin Hart in that movie? He comes into like the, the, the store and he like gets in a fight with the guy. And I, I just thought he was really funny. And then his stand-up comedy came out on Netflix not too long after that. And then I actually saw him in the airport not too long after that. And I couldn't believe how short he was. I mean, I was like, this guy can't even be five feet tall. And uh, then, you know, he, he became Kevin Hart and he's blown up or whatever but 40 year old virgin is one of the one of my favorite movies of all time just hilarious i quote it i can still quote it all the time and uh steve carell just he just nails that character in that movie so i love 40 year old virgin and every time i watch it, it always takes me back to sophomore year of college so uh that's my number two steve carell there's a guy that turned pro he, that's steve a fact carell, yep. yeah change change the game of comedy yeah he did all right. In fact, the quote on the wall, I thought you were about to quote a uh, Michael Scott, the uh, the Wayne Gretzky quote. Yeah. <laughs> you misunderstood the shots. You don't take Wayne Gretzky and Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> That's Michael Scott. I knew you were going with that. Uh, watched 40-Year-Old Version two weeks ago. My wife is in college now, and so she has missed these years of the you know all mm. these movies before. So we're going back through. Making it happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, my number two movie. She's getting uh, a real education. <laughs> This is going to be in the, you know, it's tough between the one and two. But I think, I think number two is going to be um, Warrior. I don't know if you guys remember yeah. this movie. That UFC was, movie? Or the UFC. Yeah. So, uh, so two brothers. And what's the guy, uh, what's the... Um, it's Bane and the... I forget uh, it, Bane. It's, it's Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. And uh, the skinny British guy. All right, right? so, uh, no... Um, but Tom Hardy and or, plays a brother, and his other brother is like a math teacher or something, and they have this winner-take-all UFC match, and it's these two brothers get into it. It's round of eight, and one of the guys is a boxer. Anyway, that was the most like inspirational movie um, that I think I had seen. Like That was one of those like gives you chills. We watched that one multiple times. That was a movie that we could watch. Um, for a minute, In I thought fact, you were I need talking to go about back. the one with Kevin James when he becomes a UFC <laughs> fighter. <laughs> uh, so we, totally we, different movie. In fact, I need to go back to that movie because it's one that goes under the radar. Like That's probably not on many people's list yeah, of yeah. movies, but for a bunch of college guys that are like, man, yeah. that would be awesome to be Tom Hardy's character when he's just that silent walk into the ring, 15 seconds, knocks him out, walks out, doesn't talk to the press, just leaves. That character was somebody that I feel like hadn't really been portrayed in a, in a long time. And so it was something where you just, you kind of felt like a badass just watching it. Your approach so, to coaching makes so much sense. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Just walk in the room. Here's the workout. I'm leaving. I'm not Done. talking to the press. Right. Yeah. No press. <laughs> For some reason, the press does, does not want to talk to me. <laughs> the, uh, the, the brother's name was Joel Edgerton. Okay. And then Nick Nolte was their dad. <laughs> Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. Man, that guy shows up in everything. Yeah. It was just so emotional. I mean, the brothers, this one guy's fighting for, you know, this one guy's ex-military, the other brother's fighting for his family, like they're trying to take his house and stuff. And then, uh, anyway, that was, uh, that's my number two. Hmm. 
So I'm changing, I'm changing my list up a little bit because um, Caleb took my number one, not Warrior, the other one, but um, the, uh, the the Dark Knight is Dark Knight's in a class all by itself. But uh, I'm changing my uh, my number two to uh, three hundred. We saw oh, that. Yeah. We saw that. I think it was either freshman or sophomore year in college, and I think every, every dude that went and saw that was like, "That's what I want to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be a freaking Spartan." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if I act like that, do I get one of those? Though? Like, yeah. Everybody's yeah. Saying, like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and it, uh, and it was also it was um it was the movie that uh, um made me start investigating into you know different kinds of training and stuff like that and uh, get kind of in a roundabout way how I found out about CrossFit. So in a way, the movie Three Hundred changed my life. Man, yeah. look at that! Wow. So welcome to CrossFit. Spray paint abs. Yes. Really <laughs> <laughs> close the loop there. Uh, I feel like a little. I have to mention this. I feel a little bit gypped because before I went to college, Dumb and Dumber comes out. Oof. Before I go to college, Tommy Boy comes out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm coming across like this sentimental sap because all the the really good comedies of my era were before I got to college. So I just want yeah. I want to drop that in there as runner. But you are a sentimental sap. So. That's true. But I could fake being a real comedy buff if I could use those movies. Uh, so the my. My second one, I'm pulling uh, from Hunter's talking about quotability. That's what dropped this down to number two, and that'll make sense when I show my number one in a minute. My number two would be Saving Private Ryan. That mm. came out when I was in college, yeah. and we, I think we've talked. I forget how many times we've talked about this. Yeah, this is like number seven. Yeah. Different reasons, but that comes out in college, and I, that's one of those movies that just stops you in your tracks. Extremely memorable, and uh, for me, matched up. I was um, taking a lot of history in college monitoring in history in college and I was like oh my gosh this stuff's real you know so it was it was cool that that movie coming out I think was a game changer for me as well looking at movies thinking whoa these these things can really take you to a, to a place to appreciate a lot of things so um I don't even I don't really have a favorite scene just the whole thing you know so well I don't know the sniper guy yeah pretty cool in that yeah. movie I don't know who that guy is I think he's disappeared off the movie scene but uh that's just a a great movie, man. Great all He's, doing, he's, he's doing, doing more TV shows now, I think. Gotcha. Oh, that's what happens to people who had hit movies when I was in college. But that's they're, where the money is now. Yeah, right. TV's kind of consistent work. Kind of getting bigger. Yeah. So. All right, Chase. Okay. So, uh, this one, this movie is near and dear to my heart, and I'm glad it can show up on the list because I found it in college. I knew about it a long time, which is kind of ironic given the, uh, the, the most quotable thing about this movie. But it's Fight Club. I didn't watch yeah, Fight Club. Almost made my list. Mm. Yep. I didn't watch Fight Club until sophomore year of uh, of college because my dad finally just said, you're going to watch this movie. And my gosh. Can we I, take a second to celebrate the kind of father that says, you are sitting down, son, <laughs> and you are watching Fight Club. Yeah, typically I blow off a lot of the movies my dad pitches because it's, it's like the Avengers type movies where it's just nothing but action or like Triple X, stuff like that. But he was like, what kind the, of movie? No, sorry, no. the Vin Diesel. <laughs> Diesel franchise, not the, uh, not, the uh, not the series that we all know about. I, I hope you didn't type that in the Google machine. I did. <laughs> I did. It got Google machine. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, Fight Club. We, we lost it. Oh, <laughs> Done. He's gonna go outside. <laughs> I'm gonna be saying that all day. <laughs> Man, all right, 
right, so are we did the number ones. Yeah. <laughs> that was my number one. Yeah, Hunter, go ahead. Was that your number two or number, number, number one? Number one. I went first, yeah. All right, so, you know, sticking with my theme, uh, my, my, my college career was mostly spent playing baseball, and I always tell people my most memorable times of playing baseball were the bus rides. Those were the most fun times. You know, we, we our coach was afraid to fly, so we never flew anywhere. We would, we would bust to San Antonio. It was like we were leaving like 4 in the morning, um, riding on bus. And so, you, you know, when you're on the bus, you just watch a whole lot of movies over and over again. And typically we had a DVD uh, player, but – one time on this bus ride, we only had a cassette player. <laughs> oh, God. And so somebody had brought the Joe Dirt cassette tape because somebody had it. And we watched Joe Dirt a lot. And we quoted a lot. And it was a, it was a great, you know, great movie that we always you know, used to make fun of people. So we watched it. And then so, you know, then you got to watch it and then you got to rewind it. So, you know, so we're sitting there waiting and we wait about 15 minutes and then they put another movie on. We're like, oh, I wonder what movie this is. Like our assistant coach was in charge of the movies, but he was kind of a jerk. So he would never tell you what movie he was putting on or he would never let you pick them. He would always pick them. And so we're sitting there watching and waiting. And then Joe Dirt starts again. So we're like, okay, all right. we're, everybody's kind of getting mad. Like, why are we watching the same movie twice in a row? Like everybody's like kind of complaining, like. Cody, man, you suck. You know, why are you putting this? You know, everybody's always yelling stuff from the back of the bus. So we watched it through the second time. <laughs> so and then rewind it again. So we're sitting there. We wait for about 30 minutes. And we're like, man, they got to put a movie on. Like somebody else had to have brought another cassette play movie. And so he puts it on again. And then we're sitting there waiting. It's going through the credits. Like, what movie is it? What movie is it? And then like, sweet home Alabama starts back up. Like, and by this point, everybody's just delirious. And everybody's like, yeah! <laughs> and everybody like started screaming. So we, we watched it for the third time in a row, uh, in like a six hour period. And, and I, I hate to count how many times I watched that movie, um, on the bus, but it had to have been at least 20 or 30 times over my time in, in college. So needless to say, I could probably quote the movie from start to finish. Kid Rock's character is just a classic, uh, Robbie. Um, but Joe Dirt, you know, not the highest quality movie ever made. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not arguing that it should have won an Academy Award, but for the for 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 the the person I was in college at that time, it was just it hit the spot. Um, you know, watched it a million times, quoted it a million times, still quote it to this day. Um, that was one of the things that Tate and I used to do all the time was quote Joe Dirt back and forth to each other. So whenever I see Joe Dirt, I always think of Tate. And uh, so number one, Joe Dirt. Sweet. All right. It's a lot of pressure here. Brave. I've really, I've really. We can tell Kale really overthought this. One. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get any sleep last night. <laughs> uh, talk about fear or failure right now. Turn pro. Um, this is your moment. So, so quotability. Warrior's definitely not a number one. It sneaks in there because it's kind of under the radar. That's a good number two. Yeah. Something that sneaks under the radar. Number one quotability. I love you, man. That was a great 2009. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. uh, are, are familiar. Uh, Paul, Paul Rudd, I mean, the quotes in that movie. He was the first, I think that was the first character. And now I'm trying to think what other movies, but that would, when he got nervous, would just make up a phrase, like, and say these random phrases, <laughs> like, let us on the Minjay, you know, <laughs> just like all these things. Just, it, uh, it was so painful it was to watch painful. that movie yeah <laughs> if you watch it again just the awkwardness of his character <laughs> is really genious it's so um, great and so that's a movie that we 
we watched multiple times, over and over and over again. So I love you, man. If you haven't watched it in a while, go back and do that. There's some there's some really gold lines in there for sure. So, uh, uh, me? Yes. Okay. So uh, so uh, my number one. Um, you know, you, you kind of you start to see these movies repeated. You know, kind of. Uh, with each uh, with each decade or generation or whatever, but uh, about the uh, the high school kids trying to get to a party or going on some kind of a adventure, you know, be it like Porky's or Days and Confused. Oh, so my num- so my number one for uh, for college was Super Bad. Yes. yes, yeah. And you you want to talk about quotable movies? Oh yeah, yeah. not not a bad line in that no. entire movie. Just nonstop laughs from start to finish. That was definitely one of our one of our most quoted movies all through college. Loved it. I probably should have had that on my list. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, the first time I watched Super Bad, I was getting so frustrated because I was like, these guys are never going to get to the party. <laughs> I want to see what happens at the party. Yeah. And then, then after you see it the first time, you're like, all right, I know how it goes. But man, that is a really, really funny movie. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to make the play for quotability here. I feel like this may be the one place where you guys give me a freaking break. <laughs> probably outside, not, Yeah, though. outside the box. I think you're gonna make fun of me though that this came out when I was in college. So Gladiator is my number one. Oh wow! Yeah. Gladiator is my number one yeah. because wow. I mean, I know Russell Crowe, and if, I'm not saying he's a guy we should celebrate, <laughs> uh, but he was, man, he was churning out some movies uh, after that, and uh, Gladiator was it was cool. It's one of those really inspirational kind of like just a dude movie, you know. You stop by in college, you get. Uh, a meal that's about seven or eight thousand calories from the hot top, yeah. and it's uh it's nine forty five, and you're done with your day, so you can go back to the dorm room. And I, I had a lot of um, patty melts in a styrofoam container <laughs> watching Gladiator in college. So it's I think still very quotable. I mean, no matter how uh, what age you are, if you were in any station of coming of age, whether you're middle school, high school, college, in that time. You can probably quote Gladiator. Tell me a character you hate more than Joaquin Phoenix's character oh, in that gosh. movie. Oh, man. The yes. ending is probably the most frustrating ending to any movie. Ross from Friends. Oh, I love, I love the ending. Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I like the ending, man. I, you know, he just... He, the oh, wait a minute. You can't be serious. Yeah. Oh, you like the part where he's reunited with his family and all that? Well, I mean, he, you know, he didn't want to live any longer. You know, his family's dead. He, he just had to do his duty. He did his duty. He got rid of the emperor, um, and then they carry him off. And then the emperor's laying there in the dust in the middle of the Colosseum. I mean, how how more poetic can you get? You know, he didn't he didn't have anything else to live for. He had once his family died, he had one thing to live for, and that was to get revenge and and, okay, and, and, and knock the emperor off. But didn't you want him to rule the world? I mean, it's like this guy needs to rule. He didn't want. He, he didn't want to. He wouldn't. But have that done was it. the opening scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. Mm. All right, let's calm down, everybody. Let's, let's ease the tensions here. It's uh, okay. By the way, uh, shout out to the guy who gave us a review that said, if you want to hear quotability, spoken a lot, listen to this podcast, because we, we filled, you, filled you up today with quotability. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you, buddy. <laughs> All right, follow Gladiator. That's it. Uh, I'm already he, already, he was he was the no first no one. follow Gladiator. Oh, uh, pick another number one. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, so office. now we get. We get to the portion of our uh, episode where we talk about recommends. I think a very clear recommend would be to check out all, at least the number ones, to check these number ones out. Plus Warrior. I'm very intrigued by that because I saw the trailer. I blew it off. 
be honest. Sorry, man. Okay. But I'm going to go back and check that out. It, it has all the makings of a really cliche, but not well done movie. And I feel like that was the one that it fit all the things that you just exactly, you pass through. Mm-hmm. But if you actually watch it, you're like, dang, they actually... I mean there's it's one of those movies where you really like you've really got to work hard to fight back that lump in your throat type mm. of thing and I'm mm. all so, the feels all is the it, feels is it better that. than never back down <laughs> toss up man toss it have Kanye in it that's yeah. what I'll watch any movie with Tom Hardy in it any TV show or movie with I mean Tom was Hardy that not one of his first I mean that oh, was yeah. really like yeah. nobody was familiar with Tom Hardy like he wasn't no. who he is today and uh and so, so we're gonna officially we're gonna do something we've never done before Caleb we're gonna take out an outside the box part of our, our segment we're gonna pull it into recommends our number one recommend for this week is to go watch Warrior, Warrior. that's the number one recommend go. Hunter, I'm sure you got something to follow up with uh, besides yeah. the book we discussed already. Yeah, yeah, definitely check the book out. Highly recommend that for everybody. Uh, for me, uh, recommend TV show Better Call Saul. Uh, it's in the middle of the fourth season right now, and you know I love Breaking Bad. I, I still think Breaking Bad is the most well-made TV show that they've ever done. I mean, it's when you really dig down into it and see all the Easter eggs they they laid into it and how everything was planned out from the first season on. Um, it, and it's just well shot, well acted. Just I think it's the most well done TV series ever. And then Better Call Saul is just, just right there on that same level. Same guys doing it, um, examining examining uh, Saul the lawyer um, and how he got to be who he was. And uh, right now in the fourth season, they're you know they're building the the meth lab that you see in Breaking Bad, and you're starting to see some of the characters. And uh, that's not that's not a that's not a uh, giveaway or anything. That's but. You start to see some of the characters uh, from Breaking Bad show up in Better Call Saul and, and see how they got there. And I'm excited. Hopefully, they'll have Walter and Jesse uh, make a cameo at some point. So um, check out Better Call Saul. It's a uh, great show on AMC. Uh, very well done. Four seasons. I don't know how many seasons they're going to do, but it, you know, I just every single episode, I'm just like, man, the show is so so well done. Every single one. So check it out. Better Call Saul. Hey guys, what an episode. You know, just a pat on the back to each of us. I think we really, we, some of us actually turned pro while recording this episode. So the last thing we want to do is always encourage our, our listeners to spread the word, word of mouth, great advertisement, and really, really encourage you to like, rate, share, and post this episode. If you found something helpful in this episode, please post it to all your social media channels. Until next week, we will see you next week.